I'm Howard Lindzen, General Partner at Social Leverage. And I'm panicked about telling Knut that this is his last podcast. Buddy. Hey, hey, hey. You and me today. That's it. I know. Isn't that great? It is. It's okay. This is. <laughs> I am recovering. It, you know, I went to Portland and I don't know how people live in Portland. No offense to Portland. It's fucking brutal. It's just cold, the weather. Isn't it? I just, it was pouring and gray and everybody was double masked. <laughs> and, and I don't know. It's too gloomy. I don't know how people put up with it. I don't either. That's why I, I don't live in Norway anymore. I didn't see the sun for three days, and and that's just not healthy. So for everybody in Portland, shout out for not leaving and crowding other cities. You keep enjoying yourself, Portlandia, but <laughs> not for this guy. I got sick. And so, of course, now, you know, the first inkling of like a tingling in your throat, it's like, fuck it, COVID, you know. I know. Everybody's Call scared. the hospital, get me a ventilator. But I haven't been sick in two years. And ever since I got my tonsils out, I don't know, five, six years ago, I don't get sick. Or when I get a cold, it manifests itself differently because I don't get that sore throat and the drip. I just goes right to the head, right. which is fine with me. I can deal with the snot and I hate the sore throat. I'm happy to get that cold behind me and just get sick again. Right. Because that's just normal. You get sick. Right. And, um, but to go through the tests and the whole, I can't wait till this is behind us because I don't even want to do another test. If I'm sick, I'm staying home. I don't need to do a test. Three days later, I'm going out of the house. And I'll warn people. I was like, I've been sick at home for three days. Can't imagine I'm contagious, but that's the way it's going. I have not been sick for two years. COVID is over for Howard. And I, God bless everybody else, but I'm going to be really careful myself. But I got my shots, got my booster, got my first cold, and uh, I'm treating it as if it's over. So that's how I, that's my biggest change for 2022. But here we are, year-end 2021. This will be our last show of the year. And I want to take a look back, Canute, look ahead. Sounds good. And we can't look ahead without digging into Canute, the man, the myth, the voice, the hair, the 60-year-old <laughs> legend. So I've, I've pinned you down, and we're going to spend a few minutes All before right. I blather on about my predictions and, and thoughts. Uh, and you can ask me a bunch of questions about what we're thinking what we're planning for the year ahead, but I want to get just people to know Canute. So, so, so you were 60 years old. Why, where were you born? I was born in Oslo, Norway. How many brothers and sisters? Two brothers, older. Both alive? Both alive. You met your wife with me? Yes. She was at ASU. You've been married 30 years? Well, we've been married for 29 and a half by now, yeah. Yeah, 29 and a half. I think I'm 26. So our group, not bad. Not bad at all. Tommy, Garrett, it's a good group. Of people that have been married a long time. Right. Ups and downs, but married. Uh, two boys. Yes. Both at ASU. Both at college. Are they like you? Do they like me or are they like No, me? I know that they, they talk to me. They don't like you. <laughs> but I'm saying, which one's more like you? Uh, the oldest Christine? one has... Whose name is? Nikolai. He's the older one and he looks a lot like me. He is more like Christine in the way he behaves. And it's vice versa with Marcus, the younger one. Marcus has trouble. Uh, 
Your right. oldest is an engineer. They're both math heads. Are they both math heads? Yeah. Is Norway known for math heads? I don't know. I don't think so. Not particularly. So as a kid in Norway, what was it like? Cold. I was you were always born cold. in the early 60s or late 50s? 61. All right. So as a kid, 10-year-old, it's 1970s, your memories of being a kid. Snow, darkness, what, what, what's the memory? Oh, the memory is being dragged out on cross-country skis every freaking Sunday. That Whether, was what families did? Yeah, well, yeah, my mom did that. Instead of leaving us alone at home, she brought us skiing. And I've really not liked cross-country again till I grew up. Did you get to have a gun? No, unfortunately not. Because skiing with a gun is pretty cool. Yes, that's uh, what they call it. And back then, by the the way, cross-country skiing, the skis sucked. The shoes sucked. Oh, yeah. The technology wasn't there. So it wasn't really even for going uphill or downhill. It was just for trudging across snow. Yeah, it's for the the sake of getting from A to B, which made no sense to me. Downhill was my thing, big time. Yeah, so... Do you think the weather's changed in Norway all these years? Like, I grew up as a kid in Toronto, and it seemed like there was more snow. It's also got the same amount of snow you think that they used to get when you were younger? I think it it goes up and down. When I grew up, it was a lot of snow the first 10 years of my life. In the 70s, we had very meager snow. And then in the 90s, and and now it's it's gotten incredible again. Would you live there full year round? Full year? No. And darkness. What part of the year is pretty much 20 hours a, a day of darkness? Is there a part of the year? Yeah. Most of the winter time, you know, December, January are bad. November, February as well. So what was that like as a kid when it's just dark all the time? It's weird because you go to school in the morning and it's dark and you get home from school and it's dark. I mean, it's just bizarre. The whole day just disappears. Do you think drinking starts earlier in Nora because of that? Because in college, you were a drinker. Yeah, the average age is about eight and a half years old. <laughs> like, you're talking <laughs> about Portland, and I grew up in Toronto, and, I, and you know, you only know what you know, right? So Toronto, I just thought it was the perfect city to grow up in, right. and now I can't think of a worse city to raise kids. And, I, and again, <laughs> it's everybody's got their own thing. But I got to think I would have loved Norway but then grown like Toronto to say, who needs this big city, this cosmopolitan, crowded, big city, and the darkness? Because the summers aren't good enough for the darkness. That's the thing. It needs to make up for the bad ones, but, you know. So how do you come to ASU? Just chasing sun? Uh, chasing sun, yes. And, and so I, what was the program? How did you even hear about ASU? Uh, my brother actually used to go to ASU, took his MBA there back in the uh, early 80s. And I came out to visit him, and I was interested in TV and, and, and broadcasting. So I went and visited the uh, Walter Cronkite School, et cetera. And uh, they admitted me. I don't know how, but they probably wanted undergrad? my money. Undergrad, yes. Yeah, so what was the, and the Cronkite program now is like the big program. It's one huge. One of the big programs in the country. But at the time, I'm, I'm sure he, he was still a young guy. <laughs> was he alive? Actually, it became Walter Cronkite while I was there. Anyway, so it was on the main campus. Yep. And so you get the degree. I got uh, a degree, yes. So what was the first gig? My first gig was going back to Norway after that, and I started working in commercials production for movie theaters because TV hadn't started yet doing commercials because that's what I was gearing up towards, and, and it didn't happen by the time I got back in 86. And so what happened? So then you come and apply to the MBA program? So I was there for a while, working about a year or two, came back to Arizona and, and applied to the MBA program because I figured I, I needed to do something sensible. And, uh, 
and get a business degree as well. So that's where I met you and Hans and Tom and that whole crew. And so that's the late 80s. And then so you've won a lot of awards in marketing. So what, 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 so where do you go from there? Because we all went our separate ways. So, well, after MBA, I went back to Norway, and that's when I started working in TV commercials production. And uh, I ran the uh, in-house production company for Leo Burnett in Norway. And how big was that team? Leo Burnett is still a big agency, or are they gobbled up? Oh, they're a big agency worldwide. We were small, and our little Leo film was three people and tons of of, uh, freelancers. Yeah, and TV was your bread and butter. TV commercials was my bread and butter, exactly. Just for Oslo? Just for Norway? Just for Norway, mostly, yeah. Later on, we branched out. And, and a lot of awards. So what, what's your, what was the big, what was your first big hit? Yeah, that was, uh, that was a commercial for Broughton Safe, which is an airline in Norway. What's and it called? Broughton Safe. Okay. Old name, old company. And uh, we were allowed to do pretty much everything we wanted. <laughs> and we made a lot of great yeah. commercials for these guys. What was their, what was their shtick? Were they a respected airline? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were just a small national airline. Got it. And you would win some awards for that? Yeah, we won a ton of awards with stuff for them and, and other companies too. But the best one was one where this guy comes home, uh, takes off all his clothes and wants to surprise his wife for, for a little uh, afternoon uh, delight. delight. And he looks through the keyhole and he sees her and he opens up and boom, with a rose in his mouth. And there she is with her parents having tea. <laughs> and so what was the tagline? It, it was actually for a senior citizen's rebate. It, oh, my God. Meaning you could expect them to come anytime. <laughs> and that thing won all over the world. It, in 1994, that was the most winning commercial worldwide. It won a Grand Prix in New York festivals, which is something Americans can relate to. Uh-huh. It won a Clio. Uh-huh. Uh, it won a gold in uh, in Khan and mm-hmm. probably about 12 other competitions. Mm-hmm. So that's peak Canute. Would this, you consider today uh, low point Canute? Definitely. Low, <laughs> definite low point working What with a you. ride from a Clio and a Grand Prix award to 180 podcasts sitting across from me. I think, <laughs> I think what's a miracle is you haven't killed me. And I think it's, we can... It we is can, a miracle. If this was done in the dark of Norway, there'd be a murder. And then we'd have a Netflix show about yeah. the podcast murder. All right, so what? Uh, when was the first time you heard about a podcast? Like, you were late to the podcast thing. Like I had a yeah, job. I mean, I never really related to that much at all. Uh, and, you know, I think it was the fall before COVID. So it was a little over two years ago, we decided, oh, let's do a podcast. And we did yeah. three, and we just put the equipment uh, on the shelf. Yeah. And then COVID hit, and we're like, all right, we got all the stuff. Let's do it. Let's do and, it. And that was now almost two years ago. So what's the most important part of the tech? And has it gotten easier or harder? Is, the, is, is, is things becoming more integrated, or is it just like you got to like piece this stuff together? You know, there's several ways to do this, and you can sort of decide what level of quality you want to be at. And in the beginning, we just threw stuff at the wall and saw what stuck. And right now, in the last year, we've said, you know what, we want to have high-quality audio, high-quality guests, high-quality questions, and we set the bar that high, which means that the biggest problem, if you want to call it, are the connection we do with remote guests, Mm -hmm. because there's so many variables that can play, and once in a while, we have someone with fantastic audio and a great voice, and that's what we'd love to have all the time. We don't. Looking back over the last year, who who, give me a couple of your favorites. Top of your head. Um, I really like that stood out. Uh, Michelle Zatlin of Cloudflare. 
Yeah. And what is it that you like? First of all, great well, business. I mean, she takes a fairly complex business and makes it understandable to someone like me who has no background for knowing what's going on. Got it. And I think that makes her a great communicator, yeah. which makes her a great leader because she can talk to people no matter mm -hmm. who they are, mm -hmm. which I think is amazing when you are a COO and president and God knows whatever else she is for the company. She is a powerhouse, that lady. Powerhouse. Any other standout? The last one we had on Frank Rotman. Yeah. Amazing. It's so different because he's an investor versus Michelle being an operator. What did he's, I he's an investor, but he used to be an operator. And Good point. His viewpoint made you actually sit down and think, and he was very clear in his communication. Mm -hmm. So clarity in how you present something, how you think about something before you actually say it, mm -hmm. it's key. And that that's going to let me segue. So thanks for doing all this, Canute, because that'll let me segue into the most important thing, I think, as we head into 2022 in the startup world. I've given you a list of thoughts to ping me on and talk about it. So so Frank Rotman, Michelle, there were so many great ones. I'm doing a, a list. Um, but I think those two stood out to me as well, because there you have a CEO, COO, a top of their game president, Michelle and her co-founder, Matthew, have had on the show. And then we have QEDs like Midas List Forever, FinTech Early, Capital One Early. Um, so you got two people at the top of the game that aren't famous right. that anybody could learn from. Oh, another one, Gary Tan. I don't know Gary well, so I didn't know it went well. And what did you like about it? Again, his ability to communicate. Yeah. You can't make those kind of returns fluky. No. So he understands tech. He's been around the block. He's seen winners. Pattern recognition plus tech skills plus interpersonal skills. Um, and he's humble. Yeah, he's humble. Yeah. And he had a good upbringing. I remember his parents, you know, let him, were gaming and stuff. He had the right background for this wave. Mm -hmm. So great. Those are three great ones. I can't argue with any of those. I don't remember anything, but I do remember the people because um, <laughs> I don't re listen to them. Uh, just because I can't stand listening to myself. And when I talk to the guests, it's so funny. They, my wife will meet, see the guests and go, oh, it was great. And they'll, they'll start talking. about. I had uh, Roy Rubin over. We were riding. Uh -huh. And they're, they're both talking about the podcast over dinner. I don't remember any of it. And he was listening. I was like, dude, we just had this conversation. I go, I was doing work. <laughs> I, I was like, I have to do work during the podcast. It was not to interrupt you. And so my podcasting requires me not to listen right and actually do another task and wait for you to cue me to say ask another question so at the risk of of not acting interested it's what's made me able to ask questions and shut the fuck up right so now let's turn to 2022 and i want you kind of to ping me through some of the topics that you know i want to give people a look ahead because everybody's been asking me i do these q a's on twitter and i want to just you know, I have these blog posts that I'll, that I'll start posting this week and next about how I see things, but I wanted to just riff through a bunch of things and, and, and talk about 2022 and 2021. So go ahead, name a subject and let me just riff. All right. The first one's going to be Miami. Miami, a really important part of 2021. Forgetting political because I don't care. But for business, you know, I thought Miami was an afterthought. I haven't been to Miami in 30 years. It's a place where, you know, Jewish people go to die. 
uh, from New York and Toronto, <laughs> uh, maybe Latin America. I mean, that's what you knew as a Jewish person. Obviously, the weather and the beach and Miami Vice and blah, 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 and cocaine and money and, and clubbing and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But that wasn't, like, interesting to me. And then 2021 happens, and the mayor reaches out to some disgruntled Silicon Valley people who were tweeting about it. And it, what started out is like, oh, we can replace San Francisco in Miami and Silicon Valley, which was funny. I was all over that, making fun of it. Not because I didn't believe, just because who cares? I don't want another San Francisco. But here we are, end of 2021. I've been to Miami five times, I think. I've only been to San Francisco once in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And I have good weather in Phoenix and San Diego, so it's not like I need to go to Miami for weather. But I had the best experiences. Um save traffic, you know, food's better than San Francisco, the weather, the accommodations, uh, the attitude. And, you know, the investing is about people. And if the best people start moving to places that start businesses and know how to build ecosystems, um, you get this. So for what a year for Miami. And I went to San Francisco a couple of weeks ago for the first time in a couple of years. And I'm like, wow, it's like, uh, like a wasteland. <laughs> now, some of the neighborhoods obviously are going to continue to be great. I heard real estate's coming back. But man, I mean, it's not going to be the same. No. And and I just don't know how you function in a city with prices that high. So I think Miami was, I think, the tech story of 2021. So that's Miami. What else? NFTs. So non-fungible tokens. Um, I don't fully get it. But. There's no doubt that in a world that speculation is entertainment and that the creator economy, that non-fungible tokens are a phenomenon that is not going away. And that is because they work. And when they work, they work beautifully. So with the apes and the 10,000 apes, or the fact that the creator continued to receive benefit from a sale is genius. So you going back to the arts is... It's, it is genius. If you could get paid for every time someone saw your commercial or talked about it. So in, in this world... I wouldn't have to do this. Doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> mean <kidding>. Sotheby's <laughs> needs to go away. In fact, God bless. But it does mean the artist gets included again every time Sotheby's does a sale. So it's like, carve out a little bit for the artist. And this forces the artist into the conversation. What I don't get is the speculation. So God bless... Art is art. It's been around for thousands of years. Art will continue to be incredible. But as a somewhat non-collector, why am I all of a sudden going to start collecting NFTs? I'm not. And, you know, like I said, my my avatar, my Iggy Art Twitter stock to its avatar is kind of a NFT, but I don't think it's valuable to anybody but me. And I think so most NFTs are going to be valuable just to the person who has it. And therefore, be careful. But NFTs is just really interesting use case of the blockchain. But we needed this boom or bubble, whatever it is, to get us to the other side where artists artists finally have a chance at scale to be discovered and make a fortune, which is cool, while they're alive. For me, it almost humanizes crypto because you can actually see something. Even yeah. though you can't touch it. Good point. It's a visual. It helps. Yeah, it helps. And you get it. We had um, Adler on. Oh, from, Nick Adler, yeah. Yeah, like not famous, but obviously knows the industry as Snoop Dogg's, you know, partner. 
and all hands and feet dove in because he understands the world has more snoops out there and snoop himself has left so much money on the table and why can't he hoard more and so i'm super bullish on what nft stand for i'm super i wouldn't say bearish but skeptical of how people are speculating in it tell me what you mean by tang Okay, so Tang is something that I heard, I think, I can't believe I'm saying that, but on the All In podcast, which occasionally I still listen to, but I don't know if it was Jason, who loves Tesla, who's friends with Elon Musk, was, really made a good point. Like, the amount, I think Jim Cramer came up with Tang, I don't know, in 2014, 2015, so kudos to him, and it's old. Like, it is tired, like, and if we look back at 2021, it was Tang. It was Tesla, Apple, not so much Netflix and not so much Amazon, but plenty of Google. So Tang. So take out Facebook, which still had a good year. And so, you know, the acronym is just evolving. And I think acronyms are, are great if you can do them. But I think the, the fact that Tesla made it into the top, I don't know, 10 companies in the world is interesting. I think the other most interesting thing about Fang and Tang or whatever we're going to call it is Apple itself, which is closing in on $3 billion. Unreal. Unreal. And I think what's un- the most unreal stat about Apple is it's 50% of Berkshire Hathaway. And I think that's another story of 2021 is that Warren manned up and to 50%, which sounds bananas for a guy who's supposed to be all about diversification. And, and he went balls in on Apple because Apple is kind of everything that Berkshire is. It's a bank, it's an insurance, it's cash flow, it's you know, it's an insurance against everything in the world because people need their phone. Like right. it's not insurance in the true form of Geico, but it's an insurance against like where's my phone? Like you can't function without it. And when you think of that, it's so obvious. So kudos to I'm not a Warren Buffett disciple, but hard not to agree with that. And it's really made me rethink how I invest. Like if Warren Buffett can put 50% of his assets at that size in something and beat the pants off everybody, you know, it just throws so much of what I've thought to be portfolio management out the window. And that's the world of Tang and Fang and all these things, Microsoft. And then you got to throw in Microsoft, you know, of course, and they're not even in either of the Tang or Fang things, right? Whereas the M and still doesn't get a lot of discussion because we don't use Microsoft products. And uh, he doesn't like crypto. Which brings us to the next question. But hang on. So good segue. But I, I want to make sure I get this, these points across. It's really, this has been a year where I've come to just rethink how I even think about portfolio construction, right? Because as a seed investor and, and uh, someone who does SPVs to do growth through social leverage and public market investing, and, and now we have a SPAC as well, I, I'm just blown away by the best in the world. You know, if, if, if you went to Warren Buffett and said, I got 50% of my portfolio in something, you'd probably say diversify. Right. right. So it's like that really has made me rethink in a world where there's the centralized Tang, Fang, Microsoft are so big. The new indexing may be pick one or two of the companies that you think are going to be the best Fangs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they're basically economies of their own. Make a bet. And then just fill in 10 other random companies, because if you get one of the tangs right or fangs right, your returns are going to beat everybody else. So I just, I just, 
phenomenal. It's like replacing what bonds were in a portfolio. So, I mean, that shook me, you know, and you have to just be open-minded to this stuff. So that was the biggest thing about 2021. Go ahead. Crypto, 10 years old. Yeah, so crypto, 10 years old. The most, the most surprising thing is just the lack of regulation. No one knows what the rules are still. We just don't know much other than people love speculating on this stuff. People have demanded it. They're doing it. They don't care how hard it is to get on, and they're doing it at scale. So I think the most important thing about crypto is that the SEC has just not been able to get out of its own way after 10 years and figure out what it is. And it's amazing to say that there's no securities laws around it. So people are like, like I said, with NFTs, speculating on NFTs, do you pay taxes on it? What do you do? If you get ripped off, can you complain? Of course you can't complain about it, but I'm saying, should there be a place for people to complain about it? I think at some level we need some kind of regulations. And well, what surprises me the most is that they can't take the time to get in a room for a month or it's been 10 years and figure out how they're going to treat this and set up some basic ground rule other than just saying no. Because if you just say no, guess what? This is a global world. People are trading in Switzerland. We're going to lose talent. It's going to go overseas. Uh, this stuff is no walls. It's Jurassic Park. It's out. So unless the U.S. takes some leadership on how they're going to treat it, we do not control these markets. And it's just, just a fascinating moment. Talk to me about Goldman and Schwab Interactive. So when you say Goldman Schwab Interactive, I think of what the hell? If you had told me in an era of Coinbase, which is $50 billion and Robinhood, which is you know, 15 to $20 billion still, that Goldman and Schwab and Interactive Brokers would be at or near all-time highs, you know, after what happened in 2008 and crypto and NFTs, I just would have laughed. And, you know, and so again, this goes to like Warren Buffett owning Goldman and Apple and probably Schwab and, you know, Interactive, which is this old software brokerage, which is back at all time highs and disintegrated crypto that is very institutional, is that no matter how much disruption happens, some of these entrenched legacy regulated companies have never had a better time. And I would not have predicted that. And so it just goes to that 2021, these eight to 80 brands that I've forgotten about or that, that don't apply to eight-year-olds or even 30-year-olds, but like the 40 to 80 brands had a year. So right. brands that people know that are 40 years old to 80 years old had a great freaking year. And that goes to the fan companies and it goes to... Um, Goldman Schwab Interactive Brokers. And, I, and it's made me rethink maybe there should be an 8 to 20 and then a 40 to 80 because there's, you know, it, there's just a lot of great companies to choose from. Inflation. Well, I think, you know, Ben Hanna had on the show, who's always a great guest, and he was always like this transitory inflation's a joke. Ben's very macro. I don't like to think macro because it confuses me. But there's no doubt that America's seeing its first inflation in, do you see it? Oh, yeah, of course. What I do mean, you see it, it as? Stuff's starting to cost more. You see you're seeing in it general, like eating like, out or, or well, what do you Well, just in general, yeah, products are going up. The demand is high. If the demand is high, the price is going to go up. We yeah. know that. Yeah, Apple Store's packed. Prices are, right. you know. So this is the first time we've dealt with inflation, right? We only knew prices to go down because of tech and because of China and India and Malaysia. And so this is the first time that if you want to live a pretty good life, it's expensive. 
And so, yes. And one of your favorite subjects, tiny bubbles. So the tiny bubble, everybody wants to predict tops. And I think something that's happened since, since the QQQs, since technology and NASDAQ, is that we have these massive bubbles within a bull market. And even within a bear market, as we saw in the 2020. So what I call tiny bubbles is like from 3D printing to electric vehicles to lithium batteries to fuel cell to um, oil. We have these incredibly amazing opportunities within these trends and within even within market downtrends where money is moving. And I call it this great rotation that's going on where, you know, you've remove bonds from the equation, right? Like Warren Buffett would have said, you're not going to put 50% of your money in Apple. You got to be diversified. But all that bond money has been better placed in Apple. So in that world, you're going to have tiny bubbles. As interest rates stay low, and again, I, I can't predict where interest rates are going, but it doesn't feel like we can get much better, is money's just going to keep piling into speculation. And therefore, it's very hard to predict an overall downturn in the market. I think what we're seeing as 2021 ends and 2022 goes on is that people get bearish and bullish because they have read textbooks and they see the behavior in their neighborhood or they say their friends are talking about crypto, so it must be a bubble, or their friends are talking about this and it must be a, a bubble. But I think what we're seeing is this massive you know, trade that continues where money's coming out of bonds and looking for yield. And that's creating all these like mini bubbles. And so I like to think, you know, on a macro standpoint is really try and understand, you know, these micro markets and, and, and the behavior within these micro markets. So tiny bubbles is still like something that's interesting to me. Okay. Speculation as entertainment. Well, we talked about that a lot. Speculation as entertainment. That goes to what I said about money coming out of bonds, the Fed keeping rates at zero, um, obviously COVID. And, you know, this idea that throw money at any problem we have because it's work, you know. Uh, well, look, we got through the 2008 crisis by printing money and we got through COVID by printing money. and We got through every problem by printing money is, you know, keep the savages happy by throwing dollars at them. And, you know, if you were investing, it worked, right? If you were in the market, I mean, this has been great. You know, the inflation has been good for the S&P the last three years, but you know, at some point, we got what we got this year, which is speculation is entertainment. It's like the apps are good. The communications are good. There's no rules for the SEC. The government's been, you know, cut down staff-wise. So the, even if you are cheating, good luck them finding you. Like, is there not enough people to catch all the money that's been made and maybe not reported? And then you've got the digital world and physical world that aren't fully connected. So if you move your money to the digital world and you make all your money trading crypto or NFTs, does anybody even know, right? And so speculation has become like Netflix. You wake up, if your Discord room or your stock Twitch feed has an idea, you open up Robinhood or Coinbase and trade it. And then go talk amongst your friends or your group chat or you know Twitter or stock Twitch and speculate away. So I don't think that's going away until that's beaten out of people. In a world of tiny bubbles and the government being way behind the curve on dealing with inflation and speculation and rules, I do think speculation as entertainment is the biggest trend. And we're seeing it too, Knud, I was going to say in sports. 
And I'm watching NFL yesterday. It was an is is the red zone, and the red zone is you can watch all the games and see the scores. And and they're reporting like two minutes ago in the game, and the score is a certain score, and probability of this team winning based on the score and where the ball is and blah 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 mm-hmm. at ninety nine percent. Well, who's that for? Other than gamblers. So someone mm-hmm. wants to bet on the one percent chance that the other team wins. He now knows the stats, just like poker. When you used to watch poker stars, and you could see the stats of the flop and whatever, and it got everybody into poker. So I think this goes to speculation as entertainment. This goes to DraftKings and and MGM and Caesars. We are going to be a gambling generation. And I'm not so much gambling, but understand the odds and the data. And so this is like a little degenerate, but also extremely exciting that every play will be bet on. And at some level, we're going to, as Ben Hunt says, we're going to have a generational problem in gambling and and cheating and people on the take. and But at the same time, every play can be bet on and not every play can be thrown because there are professionals on the field. So as much as cheating and stealing and coercion or corruption that may happen, the fact that you can bet on every play, well, we know they can't throw every play. So it's, this goes to the speculation of entertainment. All right, so let's talk about private markets real quick. All right, so I'm with private markets. Um, I think the most interesting companies will appeal to the speculation as entertainment. So last year it was like DraftKings, or the year before it was DraftKings and these gambling companies, and now it's FTX and Coinbase and Robinhood and Schwab and Goldman Sachs, all the people that provide the picks and shovels to the speculators. Okay, so that's why they're doing phenomenal. Don't know if there's anything more than that. Maybe speculation and entertainment just continues to benefit the arms dealers, the Schwabs, the Caesars, the Hilton Hotels, the Live Nations, because this is all we've got. You know, entertainment and speculation and sports and keeping the savages you know calm by watching live action and giving them the action that they need in the metaverse. Maybe that's all there is. I'd like to think there's more, but that's what the country as we head into 2022 is fascinated with. But of course, that's not the way it's going to happen, because if that's all the way it's going to happen, margins will compress because everybody will offer the same product and you'll be able to go on any app and bet anytime on any currency, on any stock, on any game, on any play. So that obviously can't be the only thing. So I believe that 2022 will continue to be this incredible time to invest in private companies. You know, we're focused on the seed stage. And I think the biggest thing, and and this goes to you mentioning Frank Rotman and Michelle, is that the world needs more operators. So in a world flush with speculators and investors. So in Web 2.0, it was like Mark Zuckerberg. Everybody wanted to be Mark Zuckerberg. The movie, the Facebook movie was TechCrunch. You wanted to be a CEO. You wanted to be a founder. Guess what we got? We got these behemoth companies. Mm -hmm. And not everybody can be Zuckerberg. This new version of the web, whatever we call it, it's called Web3 now, and it won't last because you need great companies, I think this will be defined by operators because you need Michelle's, you need Frank Rotman's. You, you do. can't all just be party goers, right? Like, so at some point, if we're all investing in startups, who's going to run them? So we went from this period where we all wanted to be Zuckerberg, which was a good phase. You wanted to be an operator. You wanted to be a king. And now everybody just wants to throw thinks that they can pick the next Solana or Ethereum and don't even have to work. Like, I've never seen this phenomenon. 99 was the closest to it. You could pick any internet company. Now, but those were 
paled in comparison to the gains of Ethereum and Solana and, and, and uh, Bitcoin. So in this new era where speculation is entertainment and private companies are going to keep coming, I think the big problem is how do you find Michelle's? How do you find investors like Frank? How do you price deals? Like Frank says, you're not going to figure out what you invest in until the first board meeting. Well, guess what? The world cannot afford those type of discoveries at scale that they're going at. There's just going to be such a mess. Now, the good news is there's such high margins. If you're running a software company, there's high margins. It's really hard to kind of go out of business in this day and age. So that's a little better than 99. But what we do really have a shortage of is people want to do the work and to build the company and to build the culture and to run a board meeting. And so we can't just have 10,000 new companies a month without having a problem. So I think the supply chain in 2022, the big problem will be where the fuck are the operators and how do I attract an operator if my valuation's so high already? What good operator would want to come to my company if they don't have upside? And, you know, they don't want to just work for cash. So I think that's going to be our biggest private public market thing is how do you keep talent? How do you recruit talent? How do you be an operator? So anyways, hopefully that helps. That's a great way to end this. So uh, happy 2021. Everybody, thanks, Knut, for doing all this all year for free. Was it for free? Um, Not really, but yeah. Well, anyways, the, uh, but what knowledge you've been dropped? And at least you've, you've had some great investments. I have. And, uh, you know, vast majority of thanks to you and Tom and Gary and uh, Social Leverage. And uh, thank you for a great year of podcasting, Howard. It's been a lot of fun. Looking forward to the next one. All right, everybody. Panic with Friends. Weekly Thursdays. Show drops. Just search my name. Follow us on Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple Podcasts. And have a happy, healthy new year. And look forward to a great 2022. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.